Welcome, friends, to Radio Free Muncie, broadcasting from the back of a van somewhere in the Muncie greater metropolitan area, and your source for reviews and discussion of the Knights of the Dinner Table comic created by Jolly Blackburn, published by Kenzer & Company. So jump onto your Vespa, ride down to the games pit, crack open your dice bag, and grab a character sheet. It's game on. Here we are with a belly full of tacos. Oh yeah, those those Supremes are fantastic. Ready to dig back into the bag wars here. I hope you guys don't mind. I had a few bean burritos. It might might want to roll the windows down there in the in the front. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, we, definitely we can do that. We'll keep that can of Febreze handy. <laughs> I don't know if the Febreze is going to help. Help after all that. We need. Oh, we'll stop by Dollar General and get some weapons grade. <laughs> get a big can of air freshener. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, something I wanted to talk about as we as we're uh, getting started here is there was an editorial written in Knights of the Dinner Table three hundred two, which is not out yet. It's out for digital subscribers where Barb writes the editorials. Essentially, it's just about our podcast, which is awesome. Yeah, that was a big surprise. I thought it was unfair, because it should be Diary of a Mad Woman. Yeah. Not Diary of a Mad Man this time. (laughs) Yeah. But it it was very... She had some very kind things to say. Definitely, you know, boosting our signal, which we we greatly appreciate, so... Well, here, l- let me uh, pull that up on my uh, phone here, and I can tell you, started out uh, these three guys talking smack in the back of a van, and it, it's awesome. And it it's also uh, nice to know that both Jolly and Barb love the podcast. That's, thank you, guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we appreciate the shout-out. We did also have a few comments come in while we were while we were getting our gorditas and our they have diet do on the fountain. Not a lot. I not know. A lot of, not a lot of places have diet. That's but you know, you put it in your phone. You're like places I want to go on your Google Maps. Bink, diet do on the fountain. <laughs> <laughs> Can you do that? Can you really do that? Put in where who has diet Mountain Dew on fountain and it'll show up in well, Google Maps. No, but you put a little flag places I want to go oh, on Google Maps. Yeah, and this that's a good idea. Those are the places that have diet do. It's Taco Bell. <laughs> that's hilarious, man. Diet Dew, the drink for diabetic gamers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So uh so we did have a couple of comments while we were in here. We had one from Terry Big Rig. He commented on the sucking chest wound. He wasn't a combat combat medic, but he did take the course. He was in the 4th Battalion, 8th Infantry, and he says you can use MRE, so he's agreeing with Jolly. Okay, so let let me just clarify what I was saying about a sucking chest wound. First of all, my point was more... Jolly likes to use that term, right? Yeah, that pops <laughs> up throughout the comic quite a bit. Right. And it sounds it sounds awful, right? Um, but yes, I'm positive you could take a wrapper or a package from an MRI um to seal 
a sucking chest wound. When, when I said, I don't know that it would do that much. Now, keep in mind, my perspective is working in like a hospital setting, not in combat. And so, and for people who don't know, a sucking chest wound is essentially where you puncture your, your thoracic uh, cavity, right? And the way your lungs work is um, they're kind of like in a bag. And then there's a space between that bag where your lungs are and the wall of your chest, the inner wall of your chest, right? And that, and that space between your lungs that are in a sac and your chest wall are, is a sealed system. And so when you're, when you breathe, your lungs are actually pulling out and pulling your lungs open. You're pulling air into your body. So if you relax, the air goes out of your body and then it's, a, it's an active thing to put in. So a sucking chest wound is where you've punctured or, or created a hole in that space between your lungs and your chest wall. So when your lungs expand, air goes in, that's the sucking and, and it fills that space. So your lungs don't, your lungs don't inflate, Right. So it's a, it's a bad wound from that perspective because it's, you're not just going to bleed. Like you can, you can basically suffocate, right? Cause you, you can't, you can't pull your lungs open. Um, and so it's a collapsed lung. So yes, you can put something over that and you want to put something over that wound that will seal it as much as possible so that you'll have something to pull your lungs open. But I, what I'm saying is I don't think it's going to help very much, right? Because in a hospital setting, what they do is they have a special bandage. It has a tube with a one-way valve. So when you exhale and your lung and your ribs go down, it makes that space smaller and then it lets the air out of it, right? So it, it kind of burps the air out. And then when you expand it, it, put, it, there is less air in there. So, but if you put that pack, if you put that, the airtight seal over that puncture wound, um, you're, you're, you're also sealing the air in that, that, um, that space. Right. And so you're not really going to inflate the lung. Now, if you can get them to exhale super strong and get as much out as you can, may, that might help. But I'm just saying it's not, I, I don't know that it's going to really like be that big of a deal putting, <laughs> putting it over. It probably helps probably keep someone alive on the battlefield till you can get them someplace to get like real treatment. But so just so everybody knows, I know what a sucking chest wound is. I've seen them treated them or well, I've been on a team treating them. I wasn't a doctor or anything, but, um, so yeah, I get it. I get it. It doesn't have to be an MRI package. It could be anything. It, it, plastic is better because it's airtight. That's all. <laughs> All right. So everybody got that? Everybody got that? Like Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I appreciate people people calling in because yes. um I, I did give Jolly some shit about, you know, the drill sergeant telling stories to the new recruits and, and so it's <laughs> it's it's true. <laughs> and if you guys are not aware, Terry Big Rig, he's he's followed the podcast on social media since the beginning, basically, and he shares like every time we post a we post the episode. He shares it on uh, oh, nice. for for his friends. So yeah, we we definitely appreciate that, and we appreciate the uh, message. And and hey, and and yeah, and just a like, and he did he does mention that you know you seal it on three sides. So it is it. I mean, it's more than I thought. Like, so they're not just talking about sealing it, but like you know, you leave an edge open to let the air out. Like I was oh, saying. Okay. So yeah. So no, that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool that they um that they um. 
that, it, that they do that, you know, because that is the whole key is you want to let air out when they exhale um, and then seal, have it seal when they inhale. So you might, yeah, you might be able to get some sort of a one-way valve from a MRE package. Cool. Yeah. And awesome. uh, thank you for your service, Terry. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Next up, we've got Jeff Jordan. He's, he's, a, he's enjoying the podcast. We appreciate that. Uh, thanks for letting us know. He's using us as a catalyst to go back and start rereading his collection. So oh, we nice. tricked him. We said, hey, let's go back. We're going to reread from number one. Then we got to number four and we took a detour. He's like, I don't have bag wars. But uh, he, will, he will now wait patiently for, uh, for us to get to issue five. So I let him know. I, I reached back and let him know, hey, we're going to get to five. We're just taking a little detour. And oh, by the way, we highly recommend for you to get bag wars. Yeah, bag wars absolutely. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's still available. So you can hop on the Kenzer website and order it. Or if you happen to be at GaryCon next month, they uh, might have a few issues there you can snag. But we feel your pain. We want to get back to the regular issues as well. We also want to make sure that we give bag wars the treatment it deserves. So we were actually just discussing while we were in the Taco Bell line. But, you know, maybe we're going to mix it up, maybe do a, you know, s- slip in a regular issue uh, episode within the bag war, since it looks like it's we're going to have several, several more issues for yeah. sure. We might on be on war. this for a while on bag wars. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot, it's, lot there. We may slip a five and a six in and, you know, then go back to the bag wars for a few. So uh, we're, we're playing it by ear. So that's all I had for listener responses didn't jolly say some stuff too while we were in here he went off on the mre thing too so he told me to put a sock in it well first of all his first (laughs) comment let's don't gloss over his first comment is steve sounds drunk (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i might have been a little bit I told him that I, I, I applied a, a Foster Brooks uh, filter to Steve's audio, so he sounds, <laughs> you know, the old the old guy, actor that was like that was his hook. He was always drunk, but uh, but no, Steve's not drunk. He talks more about the sucking chest wound. I yeah. think we've covered that well. We covered it. I'm sorry I went on such a that's, tangent, but that's all right. And uh, I, I, w- I was clearly proven wrong. I can accept it. And. Uh, he said that the bag world actually is a wasteland. It wasn't until they held the bag underwater and drained an entire lake into it that it created an oasis in uh, the the area where uh, Sergeant Beringer's at. Yeah, oh, okay, Blackburn, but that wouldn't create grass on the fields and the the clear blue sky and all that stuff. I get it. Yeah, there's a there's a sludge pond down there of mostly clean water for him to drink i all i was saying is that cover looks pretty idyllic for uh idyllic for being in a uh in a, in a bag well didn't like, uh <laughs> didn't they have all kinds of seed and stuff down in the bag too okay george where's the oh. sun where's oh. the sun in the bag oh, war huh oh it, it it comes out when they open the bag it's your oh. dastardly nemesis I bet they're stocked up with sun rods. Oh my God, <laughs> sun rods. They probably have like thousands of sun rods. Oh, they it's, can a, fire it's up. Steve's other trigger word. Other than long <laughs> rest, it's yeah, sun rods. Oh, long God. rest and sun rods. I hate uh, sun rods as well. 
for people that don't know, I uh, like there are a few things in different game systems that'll trigger a rant. And Sunrod, yeah. I won't go into it too much, but think about a Sunrod that can shed light in like a like yeah, what it, is it a, a hundred and two hundred foot radius or something yeah, like it, daylight? It's crazy. It's like yeah. a fusion reactor on a stick. Like I, I mean, it's like it's like having a stadium light on a little stick. You know what I mean? Like exactly. so. Yeah, I, yeah, I ran a, a three point five game for about a year, and I banned sunrods from the game. I looked Fucking it up. Sunrods, man. Yeah, they're, they're they're cheaper than actually casting a continual light spell and shed a larger radius. Yeah, it's it is. It is alchemical. Like, like, yeah. what kind of alchemy? Like I said, it's like fusion alchemy because it's like a little stick, and it, and it, yeah. <laughs> like, I won't even get started because otherwise, we'll never get to bag wars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we. Get, oh, so speaking of the of dragon, getting to bag wars and the dragon, it's uh, Jolly does mention. We, we talked about last, or Steve mentioned last time, I think we all talked about how it was a little bit of a narrative battle, and, you know, it's not like that would probably play out on the tabletop. And, jo- and Jolly comes back, and I, I, I see where he's coming from. He said, you know, a lot of big, intense battles are narrative because if he were to write in all the die rolls and stuff, it you know, it, it, it would get yeah. tedious. So he kind of goes back and forth depending on what, you know yeah. what he's doing so we, we can see i can see that so. yeah but i still think just the way the whole battle went it it wasn't it wasn't a fight you know what i mean like i i, I don't even think like the things that happened in the battle like you wouldn't even like dave hitting a tree and falling off like like the dice rolls for, i i just don't see how some of that stuff would happen relative to the other stuff that's happening so i i still stand by my assertion that it was not meant to be a live or die fight. It wasn't like a combat per se. Yeah, and uh, you know, Jolly also mentioned about the gallons of uh, charm spell potions. He says just poking fun at old school games where characters would have their mages set up labs and just chunk out potions and magic items for newer characters to use. That's what's funny about it, right? Yeah. These guys are walking around with enough charm potion to do this stuff. So, uh, you know... I'm I'm not saying it's like like Jolly doesn't realize it. I'm just saying that I think yeah. it's funny. Yeah, it's like that's the joke, right? So, yeah, yeah, that's the whole exactly. joke, right? That's Part the, of the charm yes. of the, the comic. That's why we love it. Uh he also talks about how the rock gut is Brian's Moby Dick, which the the quotes, the Melville right quotes, text. that makes right. sense. Right. His yeah, uh, his journal well entry at the beginning. Yeah. Uh and he also has that very specific spell arsenal. Uh, and that's Brian. I mean, the the thing that that you know, one of the things that sets Brian apart, you know, from a lot of uh, his peers is the way he plans and strategizes. Oh yeah, like with the specific spell repertoire, you know, having the caddies, he's thinking several moves ahead. Like, yeah, we'll be touching base on that here shortly. Yeah, we'll we'll get to some of that, but yeah. So, and and he doesn't always show his hand either. So makes it kind of interesting when it when it all comes down it's a little bit of a hole yeah catching ba off guard i got i got there there is that and there's good planning and i'm gonna kind of i'm gonna kind of talk out of both sides of my mouth about how they kill that dragon because there's some there's some kind of anyway i i don't want to talk about it yet but uh, uh his spells are very specific and they're and they're 
honestly, they're very powerful. Like they're, it's like what I was saying about how they can charm all those guys, right? Right. Now, Jolly did ask in the Facebook group if there were any KODT spells people would like to see in the actual current edition of Hackmaster. And there's a couple we're going to be talking about here shortly that I think would uh, be pretty kick-ass. And some of the, as well as some of the items they use. So if you're listening, Jolly, which I'm sure you hopefully will be, take some notes. So the last comment he has on regarding Brian is Meticulous Journal, The Lotus Estate, and Legacy. And he says, in my mind, all of that is Brian role-playing and being heavily invested in his characters. But it's mostly in his own mind, anyhow, he, he sees himself. Yeah. It doesn't show in how he actually plays at the table. At the table, he's pitted, uh, you know, he's pitted against the GM and he's trying to use the rules to benefit his character. He says, I've played in groups where players have been like that. They never role play during the game. No hint of it. But if you are talking about the game months later, suddenly they're animated and telling you about how badass their character is. Also, Brian is an a hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least he admitted that at the yeah. end. Yeah. So, which I I'm, I I know he knew. Um. So yeah, and Jolly Jolly um sent this. Uh, he 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 sent me a comment too that was about this. Um, about you know the rules are getting in the way of Brian's role playing. So I get this and. I, I get what Jolly's saying, and I have had it, I, one player at my table who is definitely like this. Like, when they're playing, they're very much tactical. They're very much, like, power gamer. But then, like, like just like Jolly said, when they look back, they talk about the cool of what happened, right? And, and in their mind, that's role-playing. Like, running a good combat is role-playing, even though they don't necessarily role-play great at... Uh, yeah, you know, like when, like in role playing encounters, um, but I just don't see Brian writing it all out like this. Maybe I mean he's got a briefcase and he does all that. It's just it just seems very out of character for the yeah. types of stuff stuff that he does at the table. You know, writing out a journal. I do have a player at my table right now, and she her name is Les. Um, uh, I talk about Andy and Becca, and then the other couple at the table is Adam and Les. And she's written a journal. We've got a campaign that's been going on for over four years now. She's been writing a journal in character that whole time. It's something like seven notebooks now. Oh, oh wow. Shit. Right? Um, and she's quiet. She doesn't role play because she's a writer, right? But she's also certainly not a power gamer. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. I had a yeah. two and a half year long campaign where the the player that was playing the one that eventually became a knight, he he was writing journals about it too. The, the only problem was he spent more time writing notes and playing the game half the time. Yeah. Well, yeah. So in, in the, the game that I refer to back in the day that I kind of grew up playing, uh, our game master did a lot of the journals and he would do what, like even back like with the old dot matrix printers, he would do, uh, adventure bulletins where he would describe and it's sometimes it wasn't maybe strictly blow by blow but it was fairly detailed combat and it got folks including him writing some narratives some some stories about like going back and like hey here's our dragon fight well maybe we embellish a little bit but so if you go to hit the website of his campaign 
there's many, many stories we can go back and read, you know, stuff that happened years and years ago. He's got old scans of adventure bulletins that he sent out. But uh, yeah, it really adds a lot to the campaign. And and we got to where there were times when like I would role play to the detriment of my character. Like yeah. I would role play even though it wasn't advantageous. And by the yeah. rules, I didn't have to. But that's just you kind of fall into that when the when the story's moving and you're kind of into it. That, yeah, that's case, exactly my point. I don't see Brian no doing that right, like at all, like caring about the narrative or anything. Like, but anyway, George, sorry I cut you off. Oh, just saying it's it's like uh, you know this isn't going to end well for your character, but your character doesn't know that. And, and even small things like my character early on was I got a critical hit from a giant rat. He's we fought a bunch of giant rats, and one of them critical hit, and he almost died. And from then on, I role played him as like having a phobia of rats. And there were times when, you know, I, you know, and he's this, you know, frontline fighter, you know, tough guy. There were times when role playing that being scared of that rat was eh, sometimes it's comic relief, but sometimes it was actually to the detriment of what was going yeah. on. But it was it was, became part of his character. You know, and most players won't do that. Most players, right. like I, I had this guy. In fact, this is the only guy I've ever like basically said, "I don't want it. I don't want you in my gaming group." Right? And um, only guy ever in, geez, like forty years of gaming, right? Um, and basically, he it was third edition. He made this gnome whatever, and he had all of these uh, flaws, so he could min max his character out. And and this has been more of my experience with power gamers is way more like this. And one of them was like, he's got a uh, short attention span or something. So they go do this whole adventure and the guy he's negotiating with wants him to go back and do more. And all of a sudden his sort of flighty little known bard is like, Oh no, you paid me. You said you would pay me X amount of dollars to do X. If you want me to go back and do something else, I want more money. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty hardcore for a, uh, easily distracted like whatever so the players want flaws that are role-playing in nature that won't affect their ability to amass wealth power and kill monsters you know what i mean that's but but like you're not like that wes and like craig zipsy isn't like that most of the players i have are not like that they um you know craig craig is afraid craig of craig zipsy not only role plays to the detriment of his character he plays to the detriment of his character. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he plays and role plays. Yep, yep. It was great. He he got attacked by a swarm of cockroaches, and now every time he sees any kind of vermin, he just he like practically goes running down the hall. There, there could be a dragon down the hall. He's running towards the dragon to get away from those cockroaches yeah. because of how I described him getting into his mouth and under his clothes <laughs> and everything. He's like, ah, you know. I'm bad. curious. Has uh, Becca's character? gotten a fear of ants yet oh yeah she talks about that all the time and <laughs> becca's another one she'll she'll role play um she'll do stuff that's dangerous that's like just to do it you know a lot of players will though i mean a lot yeah. of players will yeah do that but a lot of them won't a lot of them are very much hardcore like it's a war game and they want to win and that's what that's just the way i think of brian right i just think of brian like he doesn't give a fuck about maybe in his head you know that's fine there's probably people but like it's all numbers man it's all it's a it it's a war game to him and yeah you know but yeah and it's it's interesting to hear that little bit of behind the scenes 
from Jolly about Brian's character. He's one of the pivotal characters. He, you know, he's a creator of a lot of the drama points in the comic for years. So to know that there's some layers there and, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Well, and, and, you know, like with Brian, and I think this goes on and on and on, even when we get to the point where like Brian is in the depths of evilness, like where Brian is, I mean, there's a point in the comics where Brian is like almost unredeemable. And I remember having a, co- a conversation with Jolly years ago and he's like, he's like, yeah, I got to, I got to like turn that around a little bit. And I think, I think Bob got to that point at a certain point where he was like, just almost a like, so irresponsible and so poor at running his life that he was becoming like a toxic character or something where people couldn't really like him. And, and Brian was definitely there. And then he kind of started to turn him around, you know, oh, yeah. Then, human. Yeah. And there were points where Brian was pushing Bob to some of the stuff too. But yeah, oh, like, like horrible shit, you know, oh, like yeah. putting him in a box and mailing him to a, yeah, <laughs> like, mailing yeah. him to, to, to do some non, I mean, we, yeah, we won't yeah. go into too much detail, but yeah, like, and, and Bob is dumb enough to do it, and Brian is horrible enough to talk him into it. Like, you know, yeah. so so I I think that I like that. There's always this undercurrent of these are not just cookie cutter characters, right? I'm trying to, and I get it. I'm trying to put um, Brian into sort of a stereotype at this point, right? And Jolly is saying that's true as far as it goes, but there's another side of Brian that he is in his head, yeah. you know. And he's not a power gamer. To him, he's he's not a power gamer. He's role playing. It's just his perception of that is different from yeah. everybody else in the world. So everybody right. thinks he's a jerk. A lot. A lot of the great TV shows that, like Breaking Bad, is probably one, one of my number one or number two show ever. Oh, and there's, there are characters in that in that show, especially the main character. That oh, yeah. Almost episode to episode. You're like, I hate that God, I hate that guy. And in the next episode, you're like, oh yeah, yes, that's my dude, you know. Yeah. And, and that's that's kind of the hallmark of really good writing. It sucks you in, but the players or the characters just aren't one dimensional. You know? Yeah, it, it shows how a good person under the right circumstances go and do yeah. horrible things. Except Mike Urban Trout. He was the freaking boss through the whole thing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Love that character. I haven't seen it. I've seen like three episodes of it. Oh, myself. God. Fantastic Dude. show. I even got to my boy to watch it recently. And he finished it up and he's he started watching Better Call Saul now, but that's not what we're here to talk about. No, we're here to talk about Bag Wars. We've, yep. got, we've got the issues here. Before we've the uh, the taco break. Uh, oh, Rod- can, I, can, I, can I say one more thing about Brian, though? Because I yeah. am going to say this about him being a complex character. One time... One time I got into this discussion with this dude about, is it worse? And this is like a question for us. Is it worse to be an asshole and not realize it? Or is it worse to know that you're being an asshole? And just keep doing it. And do it. Hmm. Because to me, the way Jolly's talking about Brian, Brian's an asshole and doesn't realize it. And to me, that's way worse than somebody who's a dick sometimes. because for tactical reasons or whatever. Like I'm a dick sometimes. I know it, you know, because I've decided I'm going to be a dick or, or maybe I'm a dick all the time and nobody's told me that's very possible. too. <laughs> you know? So I don't know. Like Brian strikes me as like the worst kind of asshole because he doesn't seem to even realize what an asshole he is. Yeah. He thinks everything is perfectly fine in his head. 
So the, I guess the question is, were he to realize it, would he change his ways or would he? But that's it? the thing. I think he would. I think maybe, maybe he would. Right. <laughs> but I don't know. Anyway, let's move on. That was just a yeah. little a thought that yeah, occurred to me. Good, yeah. It's interesting. Has this ever happened to you? Okay, Tommy, you need to roll a 12 to hit and save the party's bacon. With my bonuses, that only makes an eight, baby. Oh, geez, a six. Don't leave critical rolls to chance. When your party is counting on you, wield the best. Choose Black Oak Workshop dice and accessories. With over 175 products, the family-owned and operated Black Oak Workshop's thematic and innovative designs will jazz up your game. Let's try that again, Tommy, with dice from Black Oak Workshop. Oh, Drake Lich D20, don't fail me now. Natural 18, baby, take that, foul beast. The lone kobold succumbs to your relentless assault. The day is won. Black Oak Workshop, official dice maker for Radio Free Muncie, home of the original adventure calendar, Black Oak Workshop, where dice are treasure. Ask your game master about the 5% experience point bonus when using Black Oak Workshop dice and accessories. Side effects from Black Oak dice may include angry dungeon masters, more critical hit, shorter combats, increased envy levels from gaming friends, excessive boredom from too much winning. So, uh, Rotgut had just flown off, leaving fiery destruction in his wake. And uh, we pick back up with uh, Sarah's character, Justinia, coming back with 300 more troops and finding the carnage left behind. And, of course, Bob immediately pops up. Well, come on. Are we alive or are we dead? Which which suggests it was a, more of a narrative uh, fight because you would know if you were dead, right? right? You would know how well, much exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's my point. Like they don't even know what the fuck's going on, right? Which is cool. I mean, I dig it. Yeah, I, I was a little bit of a cliffhanger there. Yep. Well, and and it's a comic, right? I mean, it's not. Yeah. It's not a game. Yeah, exactly. It's like when people watch a movie or read a book and they're like trying to apply game logic to it. You can't. Games are really not that conducive to storytelling to i mean to like not like this type of storytelling you know what i mean right Right. but anyway but i i I do want to say something about sarah and you know i've talked about sarah a lot in the past um so she's bringing 300 people to join an army where there's no money to pay them they're eating sawdust and rat meat and they're under a charm spell so I ask you, is Sarah just one of the guys or is she going like, like, why is Sarah doing this when she yeah. supposedly cares about the NPCs and cares about the role playing and doesn't like the stuff that's happening, but she's going to get 300 of her character's religion followers. Cause they said that in the last segment that he's going to go to the church or whatever. Right. Um, and put him into this army. Well, does Sarah knows that, but does Justine know that? Because she even brings it up a little bit later. She's like, we are paying them, right? 
Well, but well, that doesn't mean that Justina Inia doesn't know about the charm stew and all that. Yeah, charm potions. Uh, t- treating them like meat, talking about them like meat. She knows what's going to happen, and it comes yeah. up that they're cannon fodder. They talk about these guys like they're cannon fodder. She's in on it. And if you if you remember back in the day when you're playing A D and D, and we you know you catch your party catches a thief or a goblin or something, and and the barbarian or whatever's like, I'm just going to beat the information out of him. And the paladin's like, No, you can't do that. It's against my. <laughs> yeah. er, er, you know, everybody's like, Okay, paladin, why don't you go get a taco while we, you yeah. know, yeah. you know, the, yeah. and and the, he's in on it. He's basically in on it. But he, you know, he. He's uh in in one of the gamer movies, um, a Darkness Rising. They they handle that really well. Where the paladin they want to torture this dude, and the paladin's like wanders off. They 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 charm him. The bard tricks him into, and he's like looking for evil doers running around and yeah. running around in the courtyard of the inn because the guy keeps saying there's an evil doer over there, and he's like, I'll <laughs> kill him, you know. And and that can happen for you know ad hoc you know from time to time but once it becomes standard work like the, yeah. it's a playbook okay here's what we got to do we got to we got to do this with a paladin so we can do you know okay same as the previous 20 times at some point they're in on it so well, that's what i they are. Of course yeah. they are. and sarah and sarah knows as a player yeah. oh, yeah. I'm getting yeah. is, oh yeah sarah knows this is happening and her character would unless her character is stupid right would know what was going intelligence on intelligence of so. five or six so that's all I'm saying. It's like, like Sarah's one of the guys, man. She's, she's one, one of the guys. guys. She's just, she's, been she's not the good one. They're all <laughs> fucking bad, you know? So anyway, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Um, and, uh, and here in the second panel, we get a glimpse of one of Brian's magic items, the ring of life alerts. We'll ping if somebody that. friendly shows up. Life alerts. Help. I've fallen and I can't get up. Yeah, yeah. Life alerts. <laughs> yep. It would make it a lot easier to identify corpses, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, in the, in the next frame, Behringer, like this frame stands out to me. Like, remember in the last one where I said like the the NPCs that they despise and treat like shit were running to protect Dave. Behringer is here organizing the response to everything. Like he is in right, command of this big ass army um especially by like medieval standards this is a big army right this is this is a lot so um i don't know man i think uh i think Beringer is wouldn't be this stupid i just don't think he would be this stupid like uh he's running the whole show man they don't even want to pay the guy he's like running the whole yeah. show yeah that that is true but let's let's think had he, if if he were the type of person maybe that wouldn't put up with this, he probably would have been long gone, and they would have oh. gotten another patsy. Oh yeah. So maybe maybe he's the patsy. Yeah, maybe he's gotten, My 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 point is like a dude that can do. You wouldn't be able to find a patsy that could keep an <laughs> army like this together, right? Well, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, that's like saying you're going to get some dumbass to like lead a tank battalion or something. Like it just, yeah. it just because all the people around him are going to be like, I think you're a fucking moron, right? Like they're not going to follow some anyway. Yeah. So, so he's yeah. a rare bird. 
He's yeah. a rare yeah. bird. He's, he's a highly competent moron. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's got uh, low intelligence, high charisma, and lots of points in in a leadership skill or something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But uh, he notices Justinia coming back, so she immediately he immediately runs over to her to let her know what happened and lets her know that uh, the rest of the group is alive, but we're not sure how much longer, and they've sent up a, a tent for them. Uh, the, you know, Behringer, Behringer organized setting up a tent. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. He's doing all. He's They'd be like, dead. They, yeah. He's leading the whole thing, right? So they would be dead and the treasure would be his. Yeah. Yep. Oh, for sure. Well, except we find out later that uh, it yeah. won't be. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I love in the in the last frame on this page. Oh, yeah. Brian says, I can't believe they were feeding us lotus stew. The yeah. bastards could have killed him. Oh, God, I cracked yeah. up. Yeah. Basically, yeah, admitting that they're feeding him crap that isn't healthy. and Got a taste of his own medicine. Yeah. So I, I couldn't help, but... Re- so I don't know if we've already covered it, but when they find the the war chest that, that uh, the ninjas have taken off with... No, they haven't. That's coming up in the next couple of pages. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I'll hold my thought on that. Well, it's on the next yeah. page, yeah, because Behringer is rallying men to go chase down ninjas, right? I mean, like yeah. he's like the guy in charge. But yeah. I will say this. It does make it very um, reasonable that later when they're in the bag that they respond the way they do because yeah. Behringer is so competent as a leader, right? Yeah. I just don't think he would put up with the bullshit, but. Right. So the next page, uh, Justine asks for a status report and says that the fighting went late to the night. We've lost uh, hundreds of men, and the war chest has was hauled off. So they uh, gave pursuit, found the war chest abandoned and open, containing nothing but rocks. And everybody's like, oh, shit. Yeah, Bob says, yeah. oh, dear, he knows. I I'm like, that sounds like that was a mistake like sarah would say that not not bob oh dear yeah. does bob say oh dear come on blackburn oh i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure bob would have said something more colorful that he couldn't have printed in here yeah yeah in, in so, oh go ahead why sorry i i was going to get into my so i couldn't help but draw a uh comparison between an empty war chest and the movie Big Jake. Have you guys seen Big Jake? Oh, it's been not. years. It's been so years. So in Big Decades. Jake's John Wayne, Jacob McCandles, he's a ranch owner. I think I kid, saw that when it came out in the theaters to tell you so, how long Well, that, w- that would have been when you were probably like three years old. I think it yes. came out in like 71 or 72. Yeah, because uh, so, John Wayne was the first movie I saw in theaters. I just don't remember so, which well, one that, it was. That was. You picked a good one because it's one of my favorites, man. I didn't man. Pick it. Mom and Dad picked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they picked a good one. Anyway, they kidnap his grandson, ask for ransom, so they carry this chest of ransom. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, it's 50 years ago, but <laughs> you haven't seen it. Too bad. They, uh, he's kind of estranged from his sons, both of his sons that are with him. You know, they kind of don't like him because he's 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 always it's like a tough guy and he's never around. He's always out doing something. But anyway, long story short, the ransom is bogus. and. When when uh, they stop at the town where they're supposed to deliver the ransom, eventually they get 
their hotel room gets broken into and shotgun goes off and the chest flies open and it's like newspaper. So I, I had um, in the related to this whole chest thing, I was the, the one line that kind of stood out to me. Well, maybe it's a frame, but um, the whole frame, but it's like Berenger looks genuinely hurt. There was no war chest was there. And a little tear rolls down his eye. Like, I don't see this, man. Like, this seems so weird to me because if I were in Behringer's position, I wouldn't be fucking hurt. I'd be be like, you've got 500 people that are going to slit your fucking throat right now. And we're going to take our pay and we're going to leave you like, yeah. that's the only, the only like, and I like early on in this with the, the like in, in this, and this is a satire, right? This is a satire players. Players always think NPCs should be like fucking stupid because they yeah. come up with these very transparent ways that they think they should be able to like, I'll give you an example. Um, and you guys were in this campaign in a star Wars game. Star Wars game, and there was a guy, and he had these super high tech skills, right? Because you can min max the fuck out of Star Wars Saga Edition. And they wanted, like, they had to get this thing, and it was in a different part of the base of the ship or whatever. And so he wanted to set, like, hack into their computer system and send a message to some guards or whatever. Oh, it was a prisoner to get this prisoner and bring it to them. And they were, like, in some weird place and thing. And, like, dude, do you think that the people guarding this prisoner would be that? freaking stupid that because they get a little email or an order they would just automatically not double check it or not have any common sense or not anything and they would go do it right and that's like a gamer thing like the things that they would never in a billion years fall for they demand that the npcs would fall for that shit you know what i mean it's like in a new hope when they take chewbacca to the prisoner cell and say it's a transfer like I wasn't told about this. I'm going to have to confirm it. Well, they're going to have to double check it, right? Yeah, I exactly. Mean, and that's like the bare minimum. So so this idea that Behringer would, I mean, because what would players do if they were promised a chest of gold and they just had a huge fight and they lost half their party and then they found out that there's no money? Oh, they'd What would killed. they do to an NPC that did that? Like That's where the term murder yeah. hobo comes from. Well, yeah. I just, just. They're just NPCs. We'll, we'll kill them and go on with their day. Yeah, yeah. And and even in the next frame, it's like it's like he he passes a skill check and like Behringer's fine. <laughs> yeah. So go well, ahead. Brian <laughs> does does pull out a quick excuse out of his ass, but still be kind of hard to believe that uh, Justinia took the treasury to the temple for safekeeping and we didn't want to let anybody know. So Corsair's like, What? Don't involve me in this life, yours like yeah, but she doesn't do anything about it, right? No. She doesn't do anything about it. She just objects to it, and they, they move on. And then and then Behringer's like, I apologize. Yeah. I was afraid we'd been betrayed. Like, it just, yeah, you know. He's really stuck his neck out, and I believe that. He's, like, yeah. all in on this, but I yeah, don't understand he, why he He is. actually points, points out that he's been vouching for these guys and uh, convincing them to trust you guys, because which which tells us that uh, a lot of the army doesn't really trust him, but Berenger keeps speaking up. So here's a question. And I know in the Knights of the Dinner Table comics, sometimes they'll stat out NPCs, sometimes people that have been in a comic. I wonder if Berenger has ever been statted and if he has like the gullible quirk or like something 
that would suggest that, yeah, he's, I just wonder, I don't know if he's ever been statted. Uh, I have to go through and check my, I, I I think this is just the satire part of it. I think this is just the, the part where you can have an NPC like Behringer who is, who is, who is capable enough to lead his men and convince them to eat, you know, with all the bullshit that these guys, the way they treat them and, and they are, and he's vouching for him. This army is staying because of Behringer. And yet he's so loyal to these guys. Like, I yeah. think it's just the satire of the comic. So don't get me wrong. I just think it's, it, it's a reflection of how gamers a lot how a lot of gamers especially like when you know when we were younger and stuff would would think npcs would act and i still oh, see yeah. it once in a while when i run games yeah and then uh justinia or sarah brings up that we are going to pay them right and of course brian talking about this yeah we're just going to take it out of a rock Lord's horde after we get it not knowing how much is there and all that stuff but then it's when uh behringer brings a casualty list of 247 dead, 47 missing, and 69 wounded. Holy shit. But there's yeah. no money. <laughs> yeah, but and, there's no and money. You, and, you, and you notice, like, if you look closely at the comic, Sarah is distressed by this. She's oh, yeah. just, at least, you know, there's an implication because she's got the little lines around her. So yes. when she's having these conversations with Brian, she seems to be like, like she's upset. But mm-hmm. not upset enough to like do anything really about right. it. Maybe that's just Brian being able to steamroll everybody at the table or something, you know? Um, right. or maybe it's she just, just feels that uncomfortable. I don't know. Dave comments, he really tried to annihilate us. Yeah. No shit, you got an entire army that you're trying to bring down on his lair. What's he right. going to do, sit there and wait for you? <laughs> well, and, and in the next one, it's really funny. And this is like, to me, says it all about this whole thing so brian is like you know talking about how he killed all the wounded yeah. the bodies he's like what kind of evil vile creature does something like that and sarah's like immediately calls him uh, out player characters <laughs> you guys burned down hagley town a few months ago and forced me to erase it from the map yeah <laughs> he starts getting pissed off are you comparing us to him yeah yeah but you see players are okay when they do this crazy shit or they trick yeah. people or they get cheated yeah. or they cheat people or whatever but if a dm does that to them like like you know the trope about having um bandits attack players as they're coming out of a dungeon yes. i did that one time and the players were fucking pissed i mean they were pissed but they would do something like that in a heartbeat and think like oh what's the big deal yeah you gotta do you know? is to go Go back in time to mid nineties and play Ultima Online. Oh, go yeah. into a freaking dungeon and come out and boom, you know. Yep. You you just get attacked immediately by all these freaking yep. vultures. I used to know all with- player characters. <laughs> yep, they're all player characters. Everybody hates that man. Like, yeah. But, but if you if 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 the if you did that stuff, some of the stuff to players, like if like if they were all put under a charm potion and forced to do something people talk about that like your stories like that but um i don't know man i've had i haven't had good experiences with players being put in those situations they don't like it yeah i like it at all when (laughs) i ran uh frandor's keep years ago uh ricard's ravens were always one step ahead of them and there's a couple different times that they would follow them and and set up an ambush when they were turning from their dungeon and 
of course, they found out later that Ricard had a spy in the keep that was feeding them information, and that, that's another story that was probably one of my best Hackmaster stories ever. Uh, but I'm not going to give any spoilers, even though the adventure is 10 years old. <laughs> so then uh, Brian's like, hey, at least the dead can't collect a back pay. So he's like, yeah, this is a this is a good thing. We don't have to pay these people now. That's some serious role playing right there. You know yeah. what's funny though? When I was when I was um, running D anD D for my kids, I when they were really small, like six, seven years old, maybe even younger than that, we would play like old D anD D, and that happened. Some some hirelings that they had hired, they were in B two with these basic D anD D characters, and and two of them died. And my son, my daughter was like, "Oh, I want to. I'm going to get him a nice." burial and have a memorial and all this stuff and my son's like yeah but at least we don't have to pay him (laughs) (laughs) that's great chip off the old block oh yeah of course then uh, behringer comes out with a list of names of the families of the deceased so the payment can be forwarded brian's like yeah we'll get right on that not and then we find out uh how rotgut has been keeping track of them because a lot of the ninjas in the woods had a strange mark, a tattoo, which is Rotgut's symbol of the all-seeing eye peering out of a cavern. And Berenger recalls seeing it on some of the guys in the army in weeks prior. It was an inside job. Yep. Inside job. The, the guy was the cool. lisp. Yeah. You see, like, this is about the limit of what you can do to players. Yeah. As far as fucking with them, like what you were talking about, George, where there's like an informant and all that, and they get caught out a couple times, but like, like, but, but, like, you can't for, force them to be tricked or anyway. Yeah, I'm gonna, right. I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna try. But they found the, they found the bastards. Yep. And they're gonna summarily execute them, probably. After basically torturing him for information. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Which I'm sure Justine had to, you know. Hey, why don't you go over here and do something while we talk to this guy? Why don't you, you go know? tend to the wounded while we uh, try to get some information from this guy? Yeah, she was yeah. she was orienting all of her new followers into the army, introducing them to Lotus Stew. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's that's how we did it back in the day. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So then we get another of Lotus's journal. Yep. Um, talking about uh, the information they got from Dickerson, the uh, one guy that had the right guts. Not a tattoo, but a uh, a brand. A brand, yes. Like their like their cattle. Yeah, I actually well, thought this was a really cool um, little nuance that it wasn't yeah. a tattoo. It was a fire breathing dragon. I can just see the dragon like breathing on a on a. A branding iron with his own fire breath and like I own you now. Yeah, to a dragon they are like cattle, right? You know, little humans. Yeah, so I thought that was a really cool little uh, little note. And they and they also in the journal um, they mention the thing about him moving around. So it's kind of like foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Like, how is this guy moving all over the place and moving his horde? Because the dragon's got to have like a ridiculously big horde, right? Yeah, and he takes it with him. Every day that he moves. Yeah. And then uh, at the bottom, it talks about Berenger being a thorn in their sides and insisted that they get a share of the horde. Basically yeah. blackmailing us. Yeah. Brian's an ass. Like, but, like, yeah. but now maybe, maybe 
Behringer, I actually, when I got to this point, I was thinking, well, maybe Behringer isn't as gullible as we thought. Maybe he's so shrewd that he knows at the critical moment, he'll have like tons of negotiating power. Of course, I think, you know, so maybe that, maybe that chest of pay was not enough of a payday for him. Maybe he's thinking these guys are going to go fight this dragon and they were just all knocked unconscious back there. What happens when they fight him and the dragon's dead and they're dead and the dragon's horde is there and then I'm going to get what I want. So, I mean, maybe maybe he's playing three-dimensional chess with these guys and like, oh, yeah, Lotus, oh, you're so great. But then when it comes down to it, he's going to, He's going to get his payday. Yep. I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm just telling myself stories at this point. Uh, I like your three dimensional chess analogy and the PCs are just playing two dimensional. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I could see him. I mean, like if he's really bought into the idea that there's a huge thing and he really thinks that they could win, I could see him kowtowing it and, and thinking that, Hey, when it comes down to it, whatever they're doing right now, ain't going to matter because they're going to be all fucked up and we're going to have 500 men. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. So yeah. maybe he's looking at it from that perspective, and until then, he's just kissing Brian's ass because that's clearly what at least three out of the four of these guys want. Like that's the best way to manipulate them is to kiss their ass. Yeah. If you if you think about it, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Let them think. Oh, I'll, I'll believe anything they say. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Minute. Fine. We'll eat. We'll eat rat meat because we're gonna have a dragon's horde when this is all done. Yeah. You know, this, but then uh, he misses the opportunity too. So anyway, yeah. The next following pages is where we get to see uh, Brian's skill at uh, planning because he had everything planned out ahead of time and catches BA completely off guard with it. So before we get into that, can I ask you guys a question though? Does Jolly seem to like pirate names? Like, doesn't, doesn't seem like a lot of these names are kind of pirate names, like Bootstrap oh. Harry and. Well, and, he, and there's like fair face, whatever, and knobby foot, whatever. <laughs> and like, I, and I know Jolly likes like, I think Jolly, I think I know Jolly likes pirates. Um, well, his like, name it is seems Jolly like a lot Blackburn. of pirate names. Yeah. Jolly Blackburn. Exactly. Right. Oh, dude. So many dots just connected in my head. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the missing piece of the puzzle is finally put in place where all your dots converge. Yeah, I, I think because I think Bootstrap Harry is like right out of Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Um, Bootstrap something or other. And doesn't he have. What about Muppet Treasure Island? There's a bunch of them in that roll call. <laughs> yeah. And doesn't he have like a tower in his backyard? It's a lot like a crow's nest or a captain's quarters. Yeah, like you mentioned it. Oh, yeah. Man, it's all coming together. It's all coming together. Hmm. So anyway, I just know when when I went to this page and like the very first thing is bootstrap Harry. I'm like bootstrap Harry. What are they on a pirate ship? Like, <laughs> so so this begs the question, and we've talked before about how Jolly Blackburn is not a real person. Is this like a Dread Pirate Roberts situation? <gasps> Maybe Where there have been multiple Jolly Blackburn. It's one guy, but they keep switching it out. Yeah, the original Jolly Blackburn is living like a king in Patagonia. Yeah. <laughs> or was it Patagonia? Something like that. Yeah. They got him frozen in a silo in Chatsworth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. To quote Gary Busey and DC Cab. Yeah. That, if you got that reference, give yourself 100 experience points. I did not get it, but it was. <laughs> I didn't either. 
And, 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 and then the other thing in the same frame, like, it's something about the first frame. It always stands out to me. Like, the dragon sign is fresh tracks and scat. Like it's a <laughs> like it's a rabbit, you know. Yeah. Like it's, dragons shitting everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like blasted trees for two yeah. miles around. It's not like you know a miasma that infects your soul or anything the like burnt that. Burnt husk a of a wagon. Nothing. You know, it's carcasses. like there's dragon poop and dragon tracks. That's how we know the dragon <laughs> is here, right? Like, <laughs> that's pretty good yeah it's just you know i mean but it's like the satire about gaming you know like that's like yeah minimizing it to something he gets and like he's the yeah i mean if this was ad and d and you were the ranger tracking a dragon that's what the gm would say so you see some dragon scat and some tracks yeah Yeah. roll 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 yeah yeah you see the tracks you got you can follow the tracks through the forest you know or the the, and then there's a cave so you know it's in there because the tracks lead in there like yeah yeah. Like maybe he didn't obviously didn't fly in, right? No, no, yeah, of course was, not. <laughs> yeah, of course not. He yeah. walked up. But He's like, like there's there's no description of like the destruction or the you know the right. fact that there's no birds in the air. There's no sounds of animals. Like that would be that would be more descriptive. It's just like, yeah, there's poop tracks. Uh, <laughs> I'm an intelligent dragon. I gotta take a dump. I'll do it yeah. right here. Right here by the front door. Right in front of my cave. Yeah. Oh, guys, hold on a minute. I got to step outside the van and take a shit. <laughs> yeah. Like right yeah. in front of the door to the van. They could, no, don't do that. They could track us to our lair. <laughs> They'll find us here. <laughs> so. Uh, of course, the they BA. smell that I do. BA assumes that they're going to march right into the, uh, right into the lair and ask for the marching order. And Dave and Bob starts uh, marching. We're not doing it yet. And. Brian immediately hushes them and starts laying out his planes to BA. Yeah. All right. I get, I'm first of all, the hush. Now. <laughs> it's coming. Let me, t- let me talk about the hush first. First of all, you don't, you don't shush <laughs> all the players. I worked with a guy one time that got shushed in a meeting and years later, I, I brought it up just kind of like, you know, like, Hey, it's a funny story. Scott got shushed in a meeting. He was still mad, dude. I've seen, I like we've talked about like have table flips ever happened or whatever. I've seen people get mad and fight about little th- or like disagree, but like if you shush another player at the table or you like talk over them or start telling them what their character is going to do, I was at I was in a game. I actually decided not to play Harn Master games at cons anymore. Um, because of this type of interaction happening more than any other system I played. And it's like, the I don't know if it's the kind of people you get, but like this, there was this young guy at the table. They were sitting, an older guy and a younger guy sitting on opposite sides of me. The young guy kept getting excited. You know how people do and They're like, oh, you should do this. You should do this. You should do this. And, and the DM didn't stop him or, you know, or say, hey, man, like, like I've done that, especially because you see it with men and women, right? Like the man's trying to tell women. And I'll be, hey you run your character, let her run her character. Right. And I would shut it down as DM. Well, the DM didn't do anything. And so this older dude was finally like, he stops and you guys can't, people out in the van can't see like stops. He put his paper down and he very like kind of looks at the guy and he says, points at him. You shut the fuck up. Just shut the fuck up. Right. And I was like, Holy shit, man. Like, I get that, but it's because he felt like he was being shushed. 
you know what I mean? And so he came back like, but I was like, dude, that was like way uncalled for. <laughs> like that was yeah, way yeah. over the top, you know? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like, you can't tell people to shut up at the table. That's not cool. Not but cool this is all. how this is Brian, man. He's the leader of the pack, man. He can, he can shush them and they, well, and know. that's just it. Maybe he's got that personality and yeah. with their personalities, maybe, maybe in the dynamic of that group, they recognize him as the, the leader, yeah, you know, he's the alpha. Yeah. Yeah. But the anyway, alpha. I interrupt, I interrupted, you were getting ready to go, uh, uh launch into a tirade. So let's, let's do it. Who me? Yeah. Oh no. My no. tirade oh, will no. start two yeah. frames from now. Yeah, okay. it's it's coming up. It's coming. So Brian first says that he's getting a a scroll of Gandalf's cork in a bottle and casting it on the mine entrance, which seals any open aperture or portal up to 40 by 40 with airtight integrity. So, all right, Tyrad's about to start. No, it's not starting. But I will say that this reminds me a lot of how some spells in Hackmaster work, right? Because you notice there's not a lot of qualifiers for this. Like BA says it won't work with dragon strength, whatever. But but like there's a bash door spell in Hackmaster 5 that mm-hmm. says it blows any door off the hinges. A door. So does that mean like a bank vault door? Does that mean the door to a giant's keep that's 25 feet tall and eight feet thick like and, and we used to have these discussions when i played hackmaster all the time right and i played i played hackmaster for like eight years Several or something years, like that, right? yeah. um like but there are spells like that in there and like like there's one called slippery surface which is actually a great spell and it's a cool concept and i get it even though i think a lot of people misuse it right or, or use it incorrectly i should say and it says it creates a surface that is frictionless right if you are on a frictionless surface, you will not be getting up. There's a, that implies a lot like, right. Yeah. So there are, there are spells in Hackmaster that are kind of like this. Like when it says it seals any opening or portal, that's a big statement, right? Mm-hmm. With no qualifiers. So I just thought it was interesting because this does reflect like how Hackmaster spells work in the game. Yeah. One thing that caught my attention or popped in my mind when reading this part is Brian's assuming the rest of the mine is completely airtight as well. That's true. Yep. It, it, they do talk about there's no offshoot tunnels or anything, but yeah, that doesn't mean that there's, you know, there's not a place for the water to drain or whatever. Right. Well, I've got bigger problems when we talk about the water than whether we get with the next panel. Brian burns off a lays out the math and everything and uses two charges off his staff of the water elemental to, to fill the entrance completely with water and uses the last charge off of his staff to turn all that water to ice. All right, here comes the tirade. First of all, first of all, that seems to me like a pretty small mine. It goes back 175 feet, 10 by 10. That's just the entrance. Well, no, it says it's a straight shaft of 175 feet with no side patches, 10 by 10. And then he says total volume of 7,500 cubic feet, which it's not 7,500 cubic feet. It's 17,500 or maybe yeah. 100. Yeah, the, that, could the, be a, that might be a typo. It, it might be a typo. Beginning. Right. It might be a typo, but the math is wrong. But that seems pretty small to me. Right. Um, and and so keep in mind when he's filling this shaft of what I've 
because right so like think of, if you want to imagine the volume because i actually did the math about how much water it would take to fill that and it's about 130,000 gallons of water which is 3 to 4 tank train tanker cars of the big train tanker cars um full of water so that's the size of this so that dragon is basically living in a tunnel that's about 120 feet long right well, it's, I mean, it says 175 feet long, but right. it's not, it's not that, it's not that big, but that's a shitload of water that right. he summoned. Now, did that water just magically appear filling that space? And this yeah. is where I think BA really undercuts his, his monsters, man, because if that water, how long would it take to fill up that cave with water? If it was jetting out of his, like he's holding his staff and it's jetting out, it takes yeah, days okay. to fill that motherfucker. Right. I see what you're saying. Is it so many gallons per minute or does the water just instantly appear? Blink, it's there. Yeah. Right. And then, and then the same thing, like, you know, BA is like, what the hell is he up to? But he doesn't say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't fill it instantly. Right. So Let's say, so it magically makes the water appear and the dragon isn't reacting. He doesn't see it running down and filling up, you know, X because 130,000 gallons, if it, even if it's running like a huge fire hose, this is going to take time. Right. Right. But then he uses the last charge of the staff to do a watered ice and he turns 17,500 cubic feet of water into ice before Instantly. any of it can run out of the cavern. Before any of it can do anything. And it's going to expand, which would probably blow his um, aperture thing right off anyway, because that that volume of 175,000 cubic feet of water is going to be a lot going, more when it turns to ice. It's going to be huge. And I know I'm applying science, but like, but even from a game perspective, like I would be like, like, I don't know what the, maybe the magic items really work like that. They magically, and, and it can turn all this water into ice and freeze it and solid in one go. But I'll tell you this in the Hackmaster rule book, right? And maybe this is why Steve wrote some of the spells the way he did, right? Because some of them are like no, no qualifiers and other ones feel very limited, right? Um, the, the most powerful spell that freezes ice water into ice in Hackmaster 5 that I could find, and I didn't go through all the cleric spells, um, will freeze uh, – where, where did I write it down here? Um, it's a journeyman spell, and it'll freeze nine cubic feet of water max, which is a three by three – no, it's a – it's not three even by a three, three – by one. It's not even a cubic meter. It's a third of a cubic meter, right? Yep. So, so – um, it's like a small swimming pool. So what I'm getting at, no, it's not even that big, dude. Like that would be a teeny tiny little a big bathtub. No, it's smaller than a bathtub. It's it's. Th I mean, think about it. it's a three foot square, one foot, foot deep. deep. Yep. It's like a little baby's um, swimming pool. So so this spell is so powerful, it froze. 17,500 cubic feet of water instantly. Well, that's the difference. Cave. That's the difference between they're playing like third edition. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, I, and I'm not, I'm not trying to compare Hackmaster to KOD. Yeah. I mean, but I'm just saying like, I'm, I'm trying to illustrate how powerful it's powerful. This, the, this staff would be, if it could really do that. I mean, you could basically, 
like destroy almost anything and kill almost anybody just by making water appear around him and then instantly freezing it all. And like, I mean, I think literally it would actually be kind of cool. I think it would have been cooler if he would have taken some of this into account because that ground or that hill, like, I don't know what the ratio is of how much the size of water changes when it turns to ice. It's a lot though, right? That it would have like, if it happened instantaneous like that, that whole freaking hill would have exploded. Right. Yeah. All that pressure just suddenly. I mean, it, I think that would have been more epic than than like saying, oh, yeah, it's fro- like a frozen shaft of ice, man, because I, I think it would have blown everything out. And that dragon would have come tumbling out like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> you know what I mean? And disoriented like, oh, my God, I don't even know what the, f-, you know, um, anyway. But the, the, the math is is spurious. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know why, but when I was reading this, I imagined that shaft going straight down instead of horizontal. Well, either either way, though, I mean, it's still going to explode. Oh yeah, and and all that all that energy. I mean, like, and I'm sure I'm sure there's somebody that is like a physics expert or a physicist that could tell us like how much energy would be created if you instantly turned all that water to ice in a compressed space. I mean, if if it were a straight up and down shaft, that dragon would go would be shot out the fucking like up into the sky, right? Like, I just think that would be a cool visual, better than better than this. I think BA just really really didn't uh, didn't bring it to him in this he he got thrown off guard and you can see it in his yeah. face like he doesn't know what to do he doesn't know what to do yeah. at all and i'm pretty sure he's not a physicist he works i'm in. positive yeah. he's not a <laughs> <laughs> making so the, working at the dry cleaners and uh, making pizza right so which is if, if you think about it though the we're getting into it coming up here the next couple of spells this here is just an appetizer and really, yeah. he could have just put some water in there and woke the dragon up and had it come out. And it probably would have, you know, the battle would have ended about the same way. It, 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 well, and that's 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 the thing. I wouldn't have changed anything. And yeah. that's why I thought, like, all of that was whatever. But I thought it would have been cooler to have it, like, blast the dragon out, yeah. blow the hill up. And the dragon's like, holy fuck, what happened? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I agree, Wes, 100%. It, th- all that was completely unnecessary for what happens next. Uh, they have uh, archers get ready, uh, keeping track of time when his cork spell ends, and cue Sarah to bring out the tooth. The tooth. You can't handle the tooth, yep. is what he's saying. <laughs> he's yeah. like, what tooth? The tooth? I love this magic item, man. Yeah, the tooth of the soothsayer. Pride from the jaw of Master Kylie's corpse in Fegan's tomb. It's a one-use item and will disintegrate when used. Any character of the cloth can ask one question. If anyone within 500 feet has the knowledge, the tooth will telepathically relay that information to the user. This is a, uh, that's actually quite a hefty item for what they're doing here. Yeah, that's but- pretty cool. And you could tell this was acquired. Or, or I read it as they acquired this for this specific purpose. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, and, and I, I get it that I just got done, like, kind of trash talking what they did before. I think this is really cool. 
Yeah. I, I mean, this if 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 players came now, I don't like the fact that they kind of tricked the DM, right? And I don't like like I'll talk about some of that, but but the plan, the way they planned this ahead, and the way they were going to, if if I had players and they said this is what they were going to do, I wouldn't I wouldn't stop them from doing right. it. I think this is a great way to fucking yeah. kill a dragon, you yeah. know. Brian um, even comments that they've been saving an item for months just for this specific moment exactly you know like shit i'm happy if my players show up and they remember what like, happened last game what what happened last week yeah. you know like so With i mean characters names yeah, yeah like oh i oh well, you i have a plus seven to hit oh hold on i gotta double check because i don't use that sword i haven't used yeah. that sword in a week you know like um so i i think i think this is fine in fact in fact well you know in the next one in the next couple frames they talk about how the dragon has a weak spot. That's what they're asking about. And, and it turns out that BA doesn't know about it. And Brian says, well, you might've missed it. It's in the third revised printing. Now, first of all, BA, I can't believe he wouldn't know about something like that. Right. Right. But he's a shitty DM. We've established that BA is basically a shitty DM. Um, yeah. And it's funnier that he has to call weird P. Yeah. yeah. He has to call and verify. And, it, and, it, and it's this idea that there is a community of the one thing. The one thing I really love about K, uh, KODT is the, the it's not necessarily like every single I do like I, I love all the stories. But the thing that really kind of like is cool to me is the world it creates. A world where gaming is like really important. Like there are gaming groups and and people care about what gaming group you're in. And the and the GMs get together and they and they talk about what they're doing in their campaigns and how it all works and everything. I think that's really neat, you know. It's like it's like when I go to Gen Con, some people don't like big cons. They rather go to small cons. But like I like to go to Gen Con because when I go there, everything in the world becomes about gaming. Right. Right. Everything you see, everywhere you go, everywhere Every, you look, everybody you talk to, everybody. You talk, it's all gaming. Like you can just be in a world where you can imagine like this is like all there is. Right. In the yeah. Muncie versus like that all the time. It's 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 a lot like imagine if gaming were as pervasive to our culture as, say, football and yeah. baseball. Yeah. And I don't give two shits about football <laughs> i don't hate football I th- i'm glad folks have things they can watch and enjoy i don't get it at all yeah right? i don't I, get- I mean i don't get it at all like when i watch i'm like what is that i don't even get that to play it sounds like it'd be fun oh but, yeah but but to root for a team of players that change out continuously and just, Who are just some, millionaires for some arbitrary, anyway. yeah, yes, yeah, so some <laughs> arbitrary reason. I mean, even if they weren't, it's like, why am I a Pittsburgh Steelers fan? Well, I lived there one time, so what? Right. It's, you know, why are why are you just arbitrarily pick? Well, I'm from there, or I got a cousin from there. I can see if you had a kid that played on the team, but anyway, yeah, no, I don't uh, get it at all. And, but yeah. imagine if gaming was pervaded. That's KODT. Right. Gaming is like yeah, football. It's not like these millionaires on these teams give a shit about you. They don't even well, know who they the do, hell you are. They do if it's going to affect their ability to get a new contract for millions of dollars, yeah. <laughs> right? Or a, or an endorsement deal. But otherwise, they don't give a fuck. Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't mean I don't mean to be bashing on oh, you're football. Bashing. I know a lot of people. I'm just saying. Imagine but, th- that but, pervasive. Like like you you get on a work call or you meet somebody for the first time. They will ask you about. They'll talk about the game. 
just like they assume you are all oh, into yeah. it, yep. just like they are. And and it's that because it's so pervasive. Yeah. But so in KODT, gaming is that pervasive. Exactly. What? Like, yeah. What? You get what a work call and they're like, oh, what kind of character do you run? Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, whose yeah. campaign are you in? Oh, yeah. Did anybody see the new uh, Hackmaster Bulletin that came out? Or, hey, man, a Spellslinger guy came out. That's, you know, that's how pervasive it is. Yeah. Which is cool, man. I dig it, too. No, and, 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 and I I like soccer. I'm wearing a Barcelona shirt right now. But your point is actually, why am I wearing a Barcelona shirt? Like, I don't, I've never been to Barcelona. I've never given a fuck about it. You know, I like watching English football more than I like American football. Like, it's or soccer, you know? So I get it. I get what you're saying, man. And I think it's all like nonsense. It's overblown bullshit. And, yep. um, in, in, but that's just it. Like when I, when I go to, when I go to, um, Gen Con, it's like being in that world to me. And that's what the Muncie versus to me also, you know, like, and I think maybe some of us like being part of a team. Like if I say I'm a Tennessee Vols fan, I feel like part of that community. Yeah. And I, I'm just the kind of person I never I never wanted to be a part of a team that would have me as a member to quote an old Groucho Marx joke. Uh, so maybe I, maybe I lack that that uh, gene or whatever. But but yeah, I guess that's kind of it. But but that's what makes the nicest dinner table universe so magical. Yeah. Is that folks like us, we can we can look at this and be like, man, what if. That would you know, be cool. What if I yeah. if I were to check out at the grocery and somebody was talking about the new supplement that came out, you know, which which does happen, does happen every now and then. Like I've worn um, gaming shirts. I, I I have a traveler shirt. I actually got it in an event with. Um, um oh, my God, I can't believe I can't think of his name. Um, you, who, who wrote Mark traveler? Miller? Mark Miller, Miller, man, I can't believe. So I was in an event with him and I got a t-shirt and it's got, it's got the traveler logo and it says I died in character creation. People comment on that all the time. Like all the time awesome. for gaming means like every couple months when I'm wearing it, you know what I mean? Um, so, but yeah, anyway, yeah, that, I, 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 yeah. I love the world. I love I, it. I love it. I, how it works. I, went, I wore a Gary Khan shirt to the pharmacy once and one of the pharmacy techs that waited on me happened to be a gamer too. And we yeah. started game together shortly after that we're we're out there and and you know like when we were young we were young um there was a certain like you could you could kind of know like gamers kind of fit a stereotype a little bit i think at right. least for me but now those stereotypes are long <laughs> yeah. gone yeah. they're yeah. long gone like like i'm i'm not like for me i'm i'm hardcore into gaming like if you saw my basement you, i have so much gaming shit down here i spend a lot of time on it but I'm like a pretty successful dude. I make good money. I work in I'm a senior leadership position, you know, and Dave Kenzer, right? Alex Kammer, like all the guys in Al Alex's gaming group. Like there's a lot of people who are super successful and gaming is just their leisure time choice activity. And it's, it's the stereotypes are like ridiculous anymore. Yeah. I mean, they're just absurd, you know? So yeah, it's yeah, not, it's not the uh, fat guy living in mom and dad's basement anymore. No, that's that's just you, George. I don't live in a basement. <laughs> no, oh right. Sorry. I, I'm I I'm wrong. He moved out last week. He moved yeah. out last week. Last yeah, week, yeah. <laughs> so anyway. The yeah, so this is this is Brian. This is Untouchable Trio plus one. You know pulling out all the stops. Executing a very well uh laid plan. 
All right. So now that we've talked about what a great plant was, George, why don't you <laughs> tell them what they do? <laughs> yeah. So when they when they tell a BAE about the uh, the weak spot, he's like, "Oh crap, I'll be right back." So he goes and he calls Weird Pete, as Wes mentioned earlier. Complains that he got charged three bucks for the information. Yeah. You see, and what's so cool about this is, like in the real world, I would have been like. I don't have that rule book too fucking bad. <laughs> like I don't yeah. care. Yeah, you, yeah. you wouldn't you, call the hard eight hotline and be like, no. I don't, I don't have a D 15. I got to call hard eight and pay a dollar 99 a minute for, for, to for like get a random yeah. yeah. I'd be like, you guys didn't say anything about this. I don't have that rule book. You're not yanking this out at the table right now. Too yeah, fucking we're, bad. We're just, I don't just care. Wing it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. we're, we're gonna wing it. All right. So finally the, uh, BA tells him the cork is popped by a torrent of superheated steam, killing a dozen men outright. Several more are writhing on the ground, scalded, as hot water pours out. And, of course, Dave, he's surprised that the dragon's still alive. Figured that would have killed it. But they move on to the next part of the plan. Uh, they give Knobby Foot, they blindfold him and put a hay spell and have him just run around to distract the dragon. All right, yeah. now come on, man. These guys wouldn't be able to hire anybody anywhere ever. <laughs> yeah. This is what I've been saying the whole time. And I know I'm beating a dead horse, but it's just so bad. Like, who would work for these guys? Like, it's like, you know, it's like in the one Batman movie. I don't remember specifically which one it was, but it was the one where the Joker is pulling off oh, his yes. Uber heist. And at every the step Dark along Knight the way, rises, yeah. The next guy kills the last guy. It's like pretty soon, if you're hiring like the best of the best to do this kind of shit and you're killing, there's nobody left to hire for the next job. Nobody. Right. And, and everybody would know, like, like, it's just, it's just funny, man. You, you people like we're, we're, we're experiencing this in the real world, right? Like people yeah. realize like, Oh, I'm not getting paid enough money. I'm not going to work. This is, this is like a thousand times worse than that. Nobody would yeah. do it, you know? So uh, Rot Gut gets distracted enough that he turns and reveals his weak spot. Of course, Bob's got his crossbow cocked and loaded with a sling. And, then, and, uh, and this is the creme de la creme. This oh, is yeah. the spell. This All right. is, I love All right. this. But before, we, but before we get into exactly what happens, I want to point out again, this is a very, very powerful spell. Yes. Think of I mean, forget about the dragon and the weak spot. Imagine any monster that you could direct this much firepower into one little spot. Into one spot. I mean, with I mean, even with like called shots to the head, like and or whatever. Yeah. But even any monster, if you could just direct this much right at that, like they would don't even hardly have to see it. Like that's a very powerful spell. Yeah. So go ahead. So uh Brian announces that he's multicasting, doing magic missile volley from a scroll, along with fusillade convergence from his ring of concerted effort. So that's coming from his ring of concerted effort. So I, I guess my question is, is this a spell that he could have had on scroll or maybe could have memorized and it just happened to be in a ring? Or is it a special power of this crazy ass cool ring he's got? Maybe it's an artifact or something. But the thing yeah, is, and then and then really his ability powerful. to multicast. So yeah. one of the one of the most important game um balancing mechanics in almost every game, board games and everything, is action economy. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and Brian goes around action economy all the time. And that's why this stuff seems so over the top, right? Because he's not just multicasting like, oh, I'm going to dual cast a spell. He's like using a spell from a scroll and he's using a ring and he's casting other spells. Like, like it's not multicast. It's like multi-action. It's like, I'm going to take three actions or four actions instead of my one action, which right. is, you know, yeah. which you get this, which you get this type of effect, right? I mean, that's why like a ninth level spell like time stop is so ridiculous because you're essentially giving yourself multiple actions that are all going to fire at once, mm-hmm, which yeah. he could have done that here. That would have been like, Oh, that's actually a real spell. So, you know, and uh, the archers have all been instructed to fire their bows off upon hearing the command word. So then he reveals what Fusilla Convergence does. It causes every missile fired in a five-round interval of any kind, arrows, magic, anything, to be funneled into a specific point. Location and diameter set by the spellcaster. He sets it on Rotgut's weak spot at the size of a dragon scale. So we got Bob's bolt of uh, dragon smiting. Uh, 16 magic missiles from the magic missile volley, 25 arrows, including arrows, sarrow of wound rending, effectively at an unarmored area with a plus 10 to hit. And then the next panel, BA's just looking at like, oh shit. And then just starts whimpering in the final uh, panel of this page. And uh, yeah. they forced a threshold of pain check on uh, Rock Gut, and I'm guessing he went down from it. Dave immediately so- goes to, go ahead. Can, can I, yeah, can I just say one thing? So since Jolly put game rules in here, and game rules specifically from Hackmaster 5, I'm just going to make a little commentary. All of those arrows are, st- I mean, it might be easier to hit because it's an exposed spot, but all of those arrows are still, according to Hackmaster rules, are still individual hits. And that dragon's top check, or top threshold is going to be super high yeah right so i submit to you that this probably would have hurt this dragon but it would not have unless he got really unlucky would not have brought him down like this unless the 16 earlier editions of Hackmaster, the the threshold of pain check could be triggered by all the damage in a certain round but yeah i guess did, yeah you're exactly have, right did they have threshold of pain in in the earlier editions of Hackmaster? I yeah. don't know. I don't think yeah. they did. They did. Did they? Oh, they did. Okay. Well, I stand correct then. I'll shut the fuck up. <laughs> Thank you, Wes, for putting me in my place. <laughs> uh, no, I don't I don't know that that because no, it's probably no, the I'm same. Gonna the it's probably the, the same now. role. I'm gonna go to the back of the van and I'm gonna sit back there and let, let the <laughs> let the adults do the talking. No, that's not my point. My point is <laughs> it's probably the same role that it's per attack, which each arrow is its right. own attack, each missile is its own. So it's probably the same exact role. But if I were Jolly, I could say, oh, well, in 3.2 or whatever version <laughs> yeah, right, I play, yeah. it's different. No, so, I yeah. Know. I know. I, and like I said, I only bring it up because I saw the specific rule there. Um, yeah. But the, which, but it would only hurt the dragon. It's not like, unless, and here's the other thing. We don't know. So that weak spot, does that just mean that um, – there's no armor there, so it's easy to hit. Or does that mean if you hit that spot, it has some additional effect, right? It so it could be because it is a weak spot, and if and if you're going by uh, the Hackmaster five year olds, it's probably zero dr. Right. Well, and 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 the um, yeah, so it'd be zero dr exactly. Um, and you know, like in fiction, 
Smaug, in his weak spot, got shot by a single arrow, and it killed his ass. Yeah. Like, he yeah. wasn't hurt at all, and it killed him. So that's where I'm saying, like, you know, I'm I'm assuming that the the weak spot just makes it easy to hit because there's no armor over it. But um, it could also be like, it's a weak spot. Like, you hit it, that fucker's in trouble. Yeah, I think they got something about that in Hob 2 about dragons. I'll have to look that up later. So it's like Achilles' heel. I always wondered. So what? Your heel? Who gives a shit? You, nothing. You know, you get attacked in your heel. It's not going to kill you. But because it was his only weak spot, you know, you, yeah. he stubbed his heel. You know. Well, and if and, you're a and if you're a, a Greek warrior, having your Achilles tendon cut's gonna. But they couldn't kill you. Yeah, like so you cut your Achilles tendon, you can't walk. They're still banging on you. Your invulnerable yeah. body, like yep. who gives a shit, right? <laughs> you could cut your leg off at the knee and give yourself a peg leg and be like, I'm invulnerable now. Exactly. I don't have my fucking heel. Yeah, that's, that's funny. I just man. have his peg leg, but yeah. Then uh, Dave goes up to uh, hamstring his other leg with his hackmaster, and Sarah starts peppering that soft spot with arrows. And uh, Brian shows a moment of. Uh, Empathy. Hey, give him a moment. He's taking this pretty hard. Moment of empathy. This is like when my son beats me in a game for the fourth time and he's like, it's like, oh, you played good, dad. Like, um, yeah. it's not empathy, man. That's like, this is another way to rub it in to me. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, let's give BA a moment <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> he just, he's taking, this is pretty hard on him because we just totally owned his ass. And, uh, <laughs> let's, let's give him a moment because I can, and I'm calling the shots here <laughs> Yeah, because we just totally, that shows our dominance. I right? mean, he's literally got his head down on the table crying. <laughs> like he's yep. crying about it. Yeah. So, but it, you know, he, he put himself in this position. He's yep. a, he's a shitty DM. <laughs> That uh, Taco Bell's starting to work on me. You want you want to take another break for a little bit? Yeah, yeah, man. You guys want yeah, to get more can... tacos, though? George, can you? I... Oh, I'm going to get another drink, but I don't know if I want more tacos. But Yeah, I am getting kind of low on the Diet Mountain Dew. Let's let's run in. We'll get another soda come back out. Yep. That sounds good. Yeah, man, we're just scratching the surface. I don't even think. That was, man. what, seven pages we just talked about? Yeah. We're on page 17 out of 116. I think this is, we're going to have about eight more episodes. So we need to we need to <laughs> chug Diet Mountain Dew and talk yeah. faster, or I need to go to the back of the van and sit there and listen to you guys talk so I don't talk so much. <laughs> no, this is, I mean, we, we wanted to give uh, Bag Wars the treatment it deserves, yep. which is, you know, spend some time on it. So, yeah, it, and this is great because, like, usually when I read, like, I I kind of read in two modes. Like, I read because I like the story, and I just read it. But then when I'm doing this kind of stuff, I like I read really carefully and think about it. And um, and a little plug for one of my favorite podcasts is the uh, the Tolkien Professor, and they're doing um, it's some I can't remember the name of. He does a few podcasts, but it's like through the through the Lord of the Rings or whatever. And it's, and it's a podcast that, um, the, it, the actual content about the Lord of the Rings, is like an hour. Um, but the podcast is longer cause he talks too much like me. Um, but he, when he goes through the Lord of the Rings, he's breaking down everything they say and how they say it and what the intention is. And not like what he knows about Tolkien, but just like just looking at what's there on the page. And I listen, I listen to that all the time for 
two, three years now. And that really changed the way like I read stuff when I'm trying to read it carefully. And that's why I, I'm like picking through stuff. Just pick what, what do you mean by that? Oh, look at his face. Oh, look at this. Look at that. You know? Um, so anybody who's interested in the Lord of the Rings and wants to really understand it, like I couldn't recommend that podcast enough. It's just a huge time commitment. Maybe Wes um, can put a link to that somewhere. Yeah, it's it's easy to it's easy to find too. Although I don't think it's on Amazon or anything. I think you got to use like I think I have to use a different podcast app when I when I do it. But to give you an example, like I'm I'm um, dozens like oh, well a couple hundred hours into it, easy, and they're at and they're at Rivendell. Oh wow! Shit. Right? No, like the guy jokes all the time about how they're never going to get to the end of the Lord of the Rings in his lifetime, probably. But he will—he won't slow down. He—they analyze everything, and like I've learned so much about, like, how to look at that. Anyway, sorry, I'm kind of starting to ramble. So you're like the—you're like the Muncieverse professor. Yeah, but not really, because I don't know. I'm not as smart as this guy is. Like, he's like an actual Tolkien expert. But but I did learn a lot about, because I've never been like that. I've never been like a careful reader or anything. And like, looking at how, what's written and how it's written and like really thinking about it is, uh, it, it kind of changes like the text. It changes what you're reading in a in a good way, you know. But it can come off as being critical or negative or whatever because you're picking it apart you're really picking it apart to look at all the different angles you know so yeah anyway i don't know why i went on that tangent yeah. no that's good that's good background and it's kind of very uh, parallels what we're doing here oh yeah absolutely yeah picking it apart making big jake references and and you know there was a i've listened to some other because i i do like lord of the rings a lot and i listened to some other um podcasts and they most usually they're very superficial and so they're talking about stuff like that i already know like yeah i could read the story and they're like oh that's such a beautiful phrasing it's like yeah okay whatever i've read that you know i get it but the but looking at it like this hopefully let's how it did with me in the lord of the rings anyway helps you see it differently pay more attention to what's actually there and and you get more out of it like you get when you go back and read it again looking at it a different way you get more out of it and you engage with it differently so and it's there like this content if you want more out of it it's there that that content is there i mean some some stories and some things that come out and eh, the details not there it's superficial right. right this this is there and and yep. i think that's true because there's a lot that's in jolly's head that he's not putting on the paper but is coming across in the paper and and right. part of the fun is trying to figure that out without without saying oh i know jolly so i know jolly would do this even though we get into that a little bit but just i think there's stuff there there's a whole universe there that is in the background and we're seeing the, yeah. the one part of it, but but all that other stuff comes into play in how things are being presented. So yeah, yeah, I agree with that. All right, well, let's get that soda, man. I'm thirsty. Yep, yep. I got to take a leak too because of all the yep. dynamite we were drinking. So all right, sounds good. All right. Thanks for listening to Radio Free Muncie. If you have a comment, you can leave it at our anchor site, or you can email us at radiofreemuncie at gmail.com. See you next time.